G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Let's turn our attention to one of the key drivers of our cost of living pressure. As Christians, we're interested in policies from our state and federal governments that affect cost of living increases. Let's check an insider's perception of developments. Russell Huskisson is a member of the Vision Board and a former production officer in a Queensland power station. Russell's joining us. Russell, welcome back to 2020. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Neil. Russell, there's rising anxiety about power prices. As someone who is a former driver in a power station, how do you process these things? Well, Neil, it's very concerning because, you know, just in the last week, we're hearing numbers that electricity will rise, you know, 20% in one year and 30% in another year. And just the flow on of those costs through the economy, you know, has got to be affecting our economy, you know, not not in a good way. The debate that's going on over coal-fired power and renewables, as someone who was, you know, a a production manager in a power station, how do you see uh, the efficiency and the cost of coal-fired power? I, um, it's probably, Neil, not until you work inside a power station and one of those big coal power stations that you understand the ginormity of what is going on in uh, in electricity in Australia. It's, you know, when you're standing beside a generator that when you've got, um, you know, over 70 tonnes spinning at 3,000, you know, revolutions a minute, that um, you you get the, the feeling that, you know, this is this is huge. When we're talking the pace of change, uh, things are changing very fast. There is a transition that's taking place from coal-fired power to renewables. How do you process thoughts around the pace of transition? Well, let, let's let's step back into history a bit. You know, my grandfather, you know, seventy years ago, uh, worked for the Brisbane Electrical Company. You know, and what we see, all the poles and wires and all the transformers sitting on poles and whatever around the place have taken 70 years to build up. Now, some of our, and probably the majority of our electricity increase is due to the amount of rapid change that we have. You know, not an, not an organised um you know, taking your time, making sure that everything will run correctly. So 70 years to get what's in place there now and uh, just a relative few years uh, to have a major transformation. 
Now, critics will say that renewables just can't provide the baseload power that a coal-fired power station does. You've been doing some calculations on how you might make comparison. How do you see things? Well, if we take one of the Queensland power stations, for instance, Stanwell, Stanwell has a a base load of uh, 1,460 megawatts. Now, at 1,460 megawatts, if you were to stand a wind turbine, the best of the wind turbines you can get at the moment are around about 2 megawatts. So to replace that station, you need over 700 wind turbines. Now, to further complicate the issue is, Neil, you know as well as what I do, the wind doesn't blow, it won't be every day like today where I am, where it's blowing a gale here at the moment. Um, You get some days where it blows well and some days when it doesn't blow at all. Now, the modelling that I've seen um, tells us that to get wind power to be as reliable as, as other generation methods, we need about a four to one ratio on that. So that number of turbines, that 700 uh, turbines, now goes to 2,900 turbines that we need out there to cover for that one coal-fired power station. So some will say there will eventually be some sort of battery-powered backup. Uh, What we're hearing from southern states is that even when the battery power is being used, it's only for a very short time. So what you're saying is uh, what people predict as the need for, say, 700 wind turbines to replace one power station, the reality is that you need four times that number. When you add into the grid all of the prospect for the extra electricity consumption, say with electric cars, what will that do to our challenges around energy consumption? Well, a car, every time that a car get, an electric car gets sold, that needs to be charged. Now, I don't know about you, Neil, but I'm in a I'm in a you know reasonable sized country town, and if I go down and fill up my car, it takes about three four minutes um, of energy that I'm putting into that car. Now, if I was to do that electrically, um, there then becomes another couple of compl- uh, uh, complications in in what we're doing there. Up, it's going to take a lot, lot longer for me to put that energy into my car. Even if I've got a 50 kilowatt uh, lead that I can plug into my car, um, I can only put in about 250 to 300 kilometres an hour of electricity into that car. So um, if the car will go 600 kilometres, uh, it will take, you know, over over two hours to charge that car on 50 kilowatts. Now, I just chucked around the word 50 kilowatts like it was nothing. Um, so this comes back to the to the second point that I'd like to make about cars is that when we're designing from an electrical point of view a new subdivision, 
if we go up onto, for instance, the Ergon or the Energex site, they will tell you that the average, um, the what they want you to design to go into every block is five kilowatts. So if every house that you're looking at out there has got a five kilowatt allocation to it, you know, where does the 50 kilowatts come from? If everyone in the street wants to plug in a car, um, that means the transformer down the road, all the wires coming into the house have to be 10 times the size. Um, when we model that out, it's actually six. Uh, we need, because not everyone charges a car at once, but we still need six times the size. And this is the figure that you'll hear kicking around um, that we have to spend somewhere, you know, um, the lowest figure I've heard is $450 billion, uh, through to um, the, there was a conference the other day where they were saying a trillion dollars on upgrading our network that we've built over 70 years. So you've got the cost being exorbitant, uh, but you've also got the challenge too that even when you have the network in place, uh, if you've got the majority of people in your street with an electric car and you have a cloudy or a rainy day, what does that do if you have no battery backup? Well, Neil, we've, we've had a couple of weeks over the last couple of months where if we've looked up on the bomb radar, we've seen cloud everywhere from, uh, let's, let's take a guess, at about Bundaberg all the way down past uh, uh, Wollongong, you know, which would drop the, you know, what solar can generate during the day you know, to probably about 20% of what it would normally do. The number of houses under that amount of cloud, um, <clears throat> yeah, would make it very difficult for solar to be reliable. Russell, no matter what you think of climate change, uh, we are headed for uh, reliance on renewables. And so uh, do you think that all the options are being looked at? Oh, the don't, don't um, by any means get um, the thought that I'm anti-renewables. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pro-renewables. It's, it's just, it's the, the speed of the change and when you take one thing out of the market, you need something already going there to replace that. It's not, it's not a matter, like I've travelled overseas, I know what it's like to plug something into the wall and for it not to go. Um, in Australia, we've been blessed over the years that when we plug something into the wall, whether it's a toaster or, or whether it's another appliance, and we hit the switch, it always goes. Um, <clears throat> what we're doing is in this, the rapid change is we're jeopardising that. And we're not ignorant that there are those who are economists and perhaps not being reported widely uh, that this sort of cost and the things that can go wrong have a possibility of crashing the economy. 
just too big. And so far as Christian compassion goes, Russell, for people as there's rising cost of living pressures, uh, I wonder if you've got any thoughts on whether things are being well managed or things could be better. Well, Neil, like, like many churches, our church runs a food bank and we're getting more and, and more um, coming to the food bank, you know, month after month at the moment. With the you know with the rising of interest rates and with other other pressures on the economy, it's becoming harder and harder um, for the general public out there. You know, and you know, being in a food bank is a is a is a great ministry, and at the moment it's it's very very difficult to get supplies even for the food bank. Russell, as you said, you're not anti-renewables, but you are indicating that there is a major problem here uh, from someone who has an insider view of what it takes to run base load power and what it would take to replace it. Uh, Russell Huskisson, a member of the Vision Board, a former production officer in a Queensland power station, and Russell I want to thank you so much for uh, just some informative insights today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.